0: Welcome to the second episode of This Week in the Metaverse from Into the Metaverse. Joining the podcast this week as a guest host is Brian Paganoff, who's currently an advisor to several games companies. Previously, he was the Senior Director of Corporate Development and Strategy at Glue Mobile, which has since been acquired by Electronic Arts. And before that, he spent 14 years at Deutsche Bank across a variety of roles. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me.
0: So This week, we're going to dive into three topics of interest in the metaverse, but before we do, we're going to have a short uh, announcement from our friends at Roundhill Investments. This podcast is brought to you by Roundhill Investments, the advisor to the Roundhill Ball Metaverse ETF. The Roundhill Ball Metaverse ETF, which trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol METV, is the largest dedicated metaverse fund in the United States. The ETF tracks an index developed by Ball Metaverse Research Partners a metaverse-focused indexing and research company headed by industry expert Matthew Ball. For a prospectus and more information, please visit roundhillinvestments.com ETF METV. Read carefully. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. Distributor Foresight Fund Services, LLC. So this week we're going to talk about three key news items. The first is we saw A16Z, which some of you might know as Andreessen Horowitz, previously launched their six hundred million dollar games fund one and the four and a half billion dollar crypto fund two, uh, fund four. Excuse me. It's a lot of fiat money for crypto. So we're going to talk about what this means for the future of the metaverse. The second item we're going to talk about is. The, the, the percolation of more rumors about large tech companies and media companies looking at acquisitions in the, in the gaming and entertainment, uh, interactive entertainment space. So we're going to talk about what that means, particularly with EA on, on, on the trading block, apparently. And then lastly, we're going to take a look at earnings season for some of the Metaverse companies. We did a deep dive on Roblox last episode, but we'll also dive into Unity and NVIDIA, just kind of you know parse out some key trends from earnings. So first up, as I said, uh, uh, we'll dive into A16Z. They've raised $600 million to invest in game studios, consumer companies built around gaming communities like Discord, and infrastructure for games in the metaverse. Alongside that announcement, A16Z also announced a new $4.5 billion crypto fund for. A third of that's going to be targeted at seed investments and two-thirds at venture. And that brings their total crypto and Web3 funds to $7.6 billion. That's a a lot of money if you don't know VC land, and that's a lot of fiat cash at that again. So, Brian, you know, I'll put it to you, and we we can kind of spitball a little bit. You know how, how do you think all of this is going to play i mean obviously they have a lot of you know DeFi and other crypto things in play and then you know games there's traditional games and there's the metaverse but you know for the sake of our audience and our listeners how do you think you know what what a16c is doing uh is going to help drive the development of the metaverse and how this all fits into the metaverse story
1: yeah i think you know the broad strokes the more important part i think for me with the aside from the size of the fund is just the timing of the fund right i, I can't think of a time where uh things were more bleak in the metaverse space, the crypto space, and to have the $600 million fund announced not too long ago and then followed up by, you know, four and a half billion, that's an unheard of amount of money in vc And gave <laughs> some good color there around, you know, a third of that tranche being towards seed investments and two thirds towards venture. But like that, that can fund, uh, you know, I did some quick math. If you do five or six million bucks for to lead a round in the games company, that's like 700, 800, 900 seed investments. And I'm not really sure there's that many teams out there that can that can do that. Uh, but if you go into like the A and B round structures, I'm sure that they can accelerate and, and dive deeper on teams that they feel are, have a lot of traction, have good, good uh, communities behind their games and accelerate those. And I'm sure that uh, that will be of need, especially, uh, you know, now, because you've had... Um, you know, a good year of seed investments in, in really good game teams and you have some with traction and go-to-market strategies that are going to be happening in the back half of this year and they're certainly going to need the capital. Uh, so it does position A16Z as one of the predominant investors in the metaverse space and if it is going to be a thing, uh, they're extraordinarily well positioned to be, you know, it's not even just like a leader, it's 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 going to be one of the largest pools of capital and, and owners of intellectual property in the entire internet space, the entire tech space. So it's certainly worth keeping an eye on. Um, there's obviously like a lot of things you could pick apart here, like is this more of like a, a spray and pray kind of thing? And there's also like some nuance to that too, because this this uh, Web3 gaming space, the spray and pray kind of works better than it would in a software backdrop or whatever else, because the the, uh, the amount of money you can make on a single um, strong investment uh is extraordinarily high and i think we've seen a lot of good examples of that like with with you or, or for instance um but there's also some dichotomy there like what do you actually buy and what do you actually own uh if these games are having public voted currencies are you just investing in equity are you investing in tokens and there's going to be some like tough positioning there about what a vc's role is in that how, how long term are they in that studio's uh, transformation path, or are they just kind of more of a renter?
0: Or are you Seth Green and your board ape gets stolen, so you can't make <laughs> your next TV show? No, but on a serious note, I, th- I think you hit on you know one key thing that they talked about when they launched the Games Fun. One, it's in the it's in like the the blog post they wrote, and then also one of the GPS went on the deconstructor, a fun podcast, and talked about how a sixteen Z. You know, a lot of these large VCs they're not just kind of financial riders. They, they, they're very big in getting into the operations. They like to be the lead on the rounds they do. And so I think what you said, you know, more on the series, a series B side where they can really, you know, put a lot of capital in, but then also a lot of expertise and have a smaller number of investments than, you know, a comparable fund size that might do 50 to 60 to 70, you know, investments. They might only do 20 to 30 with that $600 million. So bigger investments, more focused, more working with the operations, um, I think that's interesting because that's really going to make them a bit more nimble, even though they have such a large pool—a large pool, excuse me. So I found that interesting. And then one of the things they talked about in the when they launched the crypto fund for in the blog post was, you know, we're in the bear market now for crypto. Obviously, you know, if you look at the the big Web two companies, Uber, Lyft, etc., they all started and got funded in two thousand nine, twenty ten, twenty eleven, in the depths in the you know coming out of the GFC, and so. You know, on the one hand, yes, it's the bear market, it's the tough times for crypto, but on the other side, this is the time where you can really be selective, you can be the ones with the capital, investing in the project you think you have the best chance of success, and then invest in the Ubers and the Lyfts, etc., of the Web3 era. So, you know, there's, there's two sides to that coin. I did find that very interesting to make that analogy, because... You know they did very well in 09 10 11 with those investments that they were able to harvest you know in the late 2019 20 teens and into 2020 so you know it is it is it is something and it's just so much money though right
1: i think what we're also seeing too is a big transition period where talent is repositioning from web 2 or gaming companies into a web 3 backdrop and so that amount of capital can put a lot of people to work And it's not not controversial to say that some of these studios will fail or even a vast majority of these studios will fail. But what A16Z is doing now is they're they're engaging with talent, they're meeting talent. And that talent is going to be able to shift between projects that, uh, frankly, will be, you know, some of them will be on fire. There's going to be three or four special investments that need a lot of backfill on talent. And that can be reappropriated from other investments that, you know, may not be doing so hot.
0: Yeah, and so if if you're a game developer or, you know, if you're interested, you know, I'm sure I'm sure if you know the right people at A16Z or other VCs, you can land a job in web3 right now. There's a, I mean, it's it, it is crazy, there's a lot of hiring even in the bear market, which shows I mean, first off, they a lot of the large companies like we spoke with Ryan Wyatt from Polygon, you know, they raised a lot of money before the recent crash and they're well capitalized. And then second, even after the crash, they're recommitting to all the hiring and aggressive growth plans. So you know, I think these companies are looking through the bear market to what's, what's after it, and that, that's encouraging.
1: Totally agree. Totally agree.
0: So, so moving to our second item, um, these rumors seem to come up every so often, and it's been quite the period for M&A activity in the gaming sector as a whole. You know, we had uh, EA being aggressive with Merge, you know, buying uh, Glue and a couple other studios like Codemasters, Take-Two, Botzinga. And that was the biggest deal in gaming for about 12 days. And then Microsoft bought Activision for $69 billion. So clearly there's a lot going on. And now there's rumors again that EA is on the block. They're looking to sell themselves, merge themselves, do some sort of transaction. This started with a report from Puck that Comcast approached EA with a proposal to spin off NBC Universal into EA and run that as a joint business uh, with Andrew Wilson in charge that those talks fell apart, according to Puck. They now report that Apple, Disney, Amazon could also all be interested in acquiring EA if it's for sale. So, Brian, you know, what do you think is up with EA? Why do you think a large acquisition of a games publisher fits into the future metaverse strategies of these these large companies? And and why now?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think we're seeing all these large transactions happening on the back of a lot of small transactions happening. And I think as a general theme, the question that we have to ask ourselves as investors or even just advi- uh, or just kind of watchers of this industry is like, is, is being a content company just not enough anymore? Uh, like EA kind of tried cloud, they tried a PC launcher, but all of the large gaming companies out there, aside from like Take Two and Zynga, Tie Up and Ubisoft have like another bit in the mix Microsoft and Activision is a very big content company, but it's also a hardware company. Uh, Sony buying Bungie is a hardware-fed company. Apple buying EA, if that were to ever happen, would be a hardware-led company. Uh, the, the portion about Andrew becoming a CEO of whatever company that they would end up tying up with is uh, adds a bit of a wrinkle to it, because you could see that happening with NBC or Comcast, where you have like a, a management team that may be a bit on the, the exit side and looking to move on to, to something else, or like, you know, the beach. Uh, but if you're, looking, if you're looking for Andrew to take over like a, an Apple or something like that that's very hardware centric, I mean that was that was um, a big transition from Jobs to Cook, but Cook had this supply chain, he was a supply chain manager, he was a uh, operationalist, he was a good people leader. Um, and I think Andrew has some of those qualities, but that hardware component is a huge shift and it's just hard to think about Cook being uh, not there anymore. Um, but for NBC being a broader content play, I think that, that makes some sense Uh, but it's also kind of like what do they get out of this besides a revenue stream and gaming right is it like uh, what does ea bring to the table is it like an apex show is it bioware or titanfall ip Uh, i'm not sure Uh, but when we talk about what's important for the metaverse you know that's the the content that that you're looking for here uh it's we're still all trying to figure out what the metaverse is but i think we can boil it down to what's actually needed to make it happen whatever the heck it is and it's like talent and its capital, uh, its duration, uh, and I think that something someone like EA brings a lot of those things to the table that's not really inherent in uh, a, a traditional content business. Um, you can build a space where people can interact, or you can build a space where it's a 3D environment and people are all gathering together, but if there's nothing to do, no one's going to stay. And that's something that games companies have excelled at for the last 40 years, right? It's always about engagement and community building and uh, enjoyment, and, and having folks be able to monetize on top of that. So it does bring something into the mix. I'm not sure it's the silver bullet to make NBC the uh, the, uh, the 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 favorite in the metaverse going forward, but it's you know it's a huge step. It's a big company.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that table stakes for the metaverse. We talked about this with mark Petit from epic games in season one we talked about it with rev from nvidia and coming next week we talked about this with mark Witten from unity's create business about how core real-time 3d development is to the metaverse and although all of these companies are working towards democratizing that and making it available to a broader audience as it stands today it's really a specialized talent pool mostly of game developers that have experience working with real-time 3d that's why we're seeing the metaverse emerge from gaming and so if you're Disney or Comcast and you want to get the talent as you're talking about to building a metaverse strategy, buying a games company isn't a bad place to start. And so you're getting a lot of that talent right away. It's, it could be expensive and the price of that is obviously something you have to consider. But, you know, from a talent perspective, it's there. And so I definitely get it. I actually think that Disney strategically could make more sense because they have, you know, there's just so much synergies with the sports of EA Sports with ESPN. NBC has a large sports business too, but it just seems, you know, it it seems like something that, you know, and there was also rumors of possibly spinning ESPN into EA and similar to NBCU. So there's a lot of optionalities there. Can you bundle, you know, FIFA into Disney Plus and make an interactive element of the streaming services? I think there's a lot of interesting things strategically these companies could do with interactive content, even before we get to the full metaverse experience. And so, You know, it's interesting times and they're all kind of getting off the cliff of digesting the acquisitions pre-COVID, Disney, Fox and Comcast with Sky. So, you know, the timing's kind of right from the balance sheet perspective. And, you know, they're all thinking about what's next. You know, these are companies that have always been acquisitive. So it could
1: be EA being a sports leader. Like matter of fact, it's very obvious that uh, there's a lot of similarities with ESPN and what they could do for streaming and esports with FIFA, for instance, probably the biggest sports game on the planet. Uh, I guess the other thing too that Disney has that maybe NBC or Comcast doesn't is a really good stock narrative where they have a growing streaming presence, and that does pay in capital, make it a little bit more easy to digest a, a big company like EA with stock, whereas with you know NBC it's like they have a little bit more uh, wood to chop on uh, streaming.
0: Yeah, and you know it, and Disney also kind of has the leadership issue that's percolating as well, you know. So if Andrew is serious, you know he could possibly weasel himself to be CEO of Disney. <laughs>
1: yeah. They've also had just some of the best IP on the planet. really hard to argue against that. And it's always been tough for e- for Disney to transition their IP into game environments. They've tried to do it on their own several times uh, with limited degrees of success, uh, after which they've mostly done like a, a licensing arrangement with, you know, mobile and free to play and console PC, but uh, uh, in a lot of that with EA, frankly, but it's it's like does that work better when it's one cohesive company versus, uh, you know, bidding out to the highest bidder? And then also, you know, you, you all know how difficult it is to uh, build these games inside of a public company, have timelines in place. What do you do when you pull that in, and you can be a little more insular and give teams longer time periods to develop games and have really special experiences that maybe not so uh, in tune to box sales or microtransactions and things like that? So you can kind of see like if there's going to be a metaverse that can encapsulate 100 million users maybe that just is a disney themed metaverse it's kind of what the the parks and rec business already is
0: and then we don't have to get into it for the sake of this podcast but then it opens pandora's box well if ea goes i mean take two is gone yeah ubisoft like you know the domino effect is going to follow quite quickly and so it will be not just for ea but for the entire landscape of the gaming industry it'll be quite you know transformational
1: yeah, you could have a separate podcast and that alone. And what does that dynamic do to, you know, how long games take to be made, what goes into it? Because um, right now it's like you're going to have a very few public companies that are uh, ha- having pipeline out there and producing games. It's like the, the, the list is very thin now.
0: And it might be a good thing because games are so much bigger nowadays. Everyone's trying to build a virtual world that they can spin up as a metaverse at some point. Everyone's trying to build live services games. It's no longer just about having a AAA box game every year. And so, you know, Call of Duty is a $500 million plus production budget now. I don't think people realize that when they look at Call of Duty. It's insane. And so, you know, the cost of these things is just so astronomical now that being private may not be the worst thing because you, you don't have to, you know, you're not beholden to the public markets. We've seen many companies make that mistake.
1: I think the other thing that's really important here in the, in the metaverse, you've already mentioned, is just a really good software stack, development stack. And, you know, to EA's credit, they, they do have uh, their own internal engines. Whether or not it's ubiquitous or it's used by other companies is not really the point, but it's like, can that company wrap itself around that engine to produce good content or a good experience? And, like, it's, it's better than most, right? It's not top two, but it's top five.
0: And so we're going to lastly shift to our last topic, which is going to be looking at some of the leading metaverse companies earnings. We did a deep dive on Roblox, Yon and I last week on this week in the metaverse. You can check that out. But, you know, since Brian's here, I thought we could just kind of, you know, talk about broadly Roblox, Unity, their stock, Dove, But if you actually dive into it, it was mostly the ad business, the operate side, which is important for Unity, but for the sake of the metaverse, not as important. And then Nvidia as well. I, I pulled some numbers out of Nvidia because they reported yesterday. I just thought some of these numbers were were crazy, given how nascent the Metaverse and Omniverse is. So, so Jensen Huang, the CEO, noted that you know Omniverse now has over ten percent of the world's top one hundred companies as licensed com- com- uh, licensed customers. Excuse me, with many more evaluating Omniverse. They have over two hundred thousand downloads of it across seven hundred companies. So, it seems like quite quickly not just you know games companies but industrial companies are really starting to think about you know quote unquote the metaverse digital twins how how they can use real-time 3d to enhance their operations again huge teaser for our upcoming episode with with mark from unity but you know just your thoughts on what you saw in earnings and and your and your and how that at all affects your your thoughts on the metaverse development
1: yeah i think you know nvidia has always been a really interesting use case in tmt land it's always been one of the more love names especially over the last five years uh, it's been controversial for semi-specialists, mostly because of valuation. But there's been a ton of capitulation over the years with the crypto tailwinds, the data center use cases, gaming has been on absolute fire, etc. And Nvidia, to, to their credit, has always been like the masters of the TAM. They're great at latching onto what's hot in the market, whether that's like cloud or AI ML or data center, gaming, metaverse, ADOs, etc. The list goes on and on. But it's it's like they've. Not only been able to latch onto that, but they've been able to back it up with numbers and customers over the years. And so, the the industrial use cases you're talking about has been something that a lot of software companies over the years have tried to latch themselves onto with, you know, probably less success than than NVIDIA is even having over the past couple quarters. Uh, notably, like uh, Autodesk is a good example of that, right? It's a very good CAD design for a lot of different use cases and for graphic designers, but. Uh, being able to show enterprise revenues and, and folks actually putting uh, people behind using it outside of a, you know maybe like a 10 or 12 person team in a gigantic company that's not going to move the needle um, you know nvidia is extraordinarily well positioned and just from a stock perspective it's always one of those names that if you ask any good tmt investor or a generalist tmt investor what top five names they want to circle back on when the market bottoms out it's going to be in the top five
0: and maybe we we might already be there. If you look at NVIDIA's stock move since they report it was down after hours and it's about to close up five percent. So I mean who knows what the market has in, to, in, in in store for us, but you know, it's definitely an encouraging, you know, move in the stock.
1: That's always something you like to see is uh, a big a bit of a reset, but that buyback was also very uh instrumental right it's like it's a 450 billion dollar market cap company which is extraordinarily huge and 15 billion might not sound like a lot but that's a lot of buying power behind uh sellers and being able to bottom out and have a little shoulder of uh, an uptick on a day like you know today or yesterday is it's a a big it's a big deal
0: and then just on unity because it does tie into also we saw earnings from or or not earnings but a a guidance revision from snap this week this week which i think caught a lot of people off guard but you know, Unity has already talked about the ad market softening. For those that are not in the games industry, Apple changed their privacy rules. This is a very, very short summary of what's happened. There's a lot of people that are a lot smarter about this than I am, but Apple changed their privacy rules, making it harder for advertisers to target individuals now, and we're still seeing the repercussions of that alongside with There's cynics out there like Eric Seifert from Mobile Dev Memo who thinks that they were finding workarounds and now Apple's closing those workarounds. So there's lots of different theories as to what's happening, plus the macro economy slowing, all ties into ad market getting very weak. And so we saw that hit Unity. We saw Snap. You know, just kind of your thoughts of, you know, obviously we're still so nascent in the metaverse to even think about advertising. But, you know, one of the things that we've seen a lot more of in like Roblox, for example, as opposed to, you know, programmatic ads or dedicated ads is more branded content, whether that's branded experiences or branded, uh, you know, consumable items like shirts and stuff for your avatar. So do you think that as the internet evolves into the metaverse era, we need a different advertising strategy overall for digital platforms? Or do you think programmatic ads will continue to play a big role as as the metaverse develops?
1: Yeah, I would say like, similarly in your camp, there's probably better people to speak about this from an intellectual perspective, but certainly like ads aren't, aren't going away. Uh, especially for things that, the, the biggest part about ads being so important over the past five years is because the free-to-play transition was so powerful. Right? And you had games that traditionally would be box sales or uh, otherwise like monetized the MTX. Uh, Hyper Casual was a huge boon for the industry. I also think a huge boon for, for Unity being so strong on the mobile side of the business uh, that, you know, you really had to find a new way to, to monetize customers, especially if they're only going to be playing these experiences for a handful of minutes. And in some cases maybe they're just downloading it never playing it uh, but that was a, a huge tailwind from unity from a from a, a not only an ads perspective but also for uh getting more folks to use their software um so from the ad side of the business for unity uh despite what 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 the opinion is on whether or not this is all idfa or if it's if it's repairable or whatever else it's certainly a show me story um it's not super apparent they'll be able to show growth in the ads business given like the, the read-throughs we're seeing across the space but, you know, they have two or three quarters to start showing investors that uh, that data and that promise of, of the business resuming business as usual. Uh, I think the, the issue that we're seeing is like, how, when you have a, a stock like this and it's it's it was so expensive for a time, uh, you kind of lump revenues in uh, from a general perspective as being like revenue, right? And what we're seeing is that ads revenue is not necessarily equal to software revenue, especially like subscription software revenue. So, um, you know, McRae the, the business, like you said, had a really solid quarter uh, and they're clearly investing in the product through inorganic means. And it's very clear that Unity will get better over time from a product perspective, but it's hard to, to know really if that's going to translate into uh, higher revenues or more users because that's the, the, the lever in their business model is number one pricing, but mostly like users of their software. So I, if we're thinking about the metaverse, I think the... The least important part of the business for Unity is the ads business, but it's also very, very important to valuation, and especially to them resuming the valuation that they enjoyed even like six months ago. And this was not too long ago, a $40 billion company plus, I, I don't remember what the peak market cap was, but um, you know one of the better stories uh, for an IPO perspective over the past few years uh, until it wasn't.
0: <laughs> until it wasn't. I think that's a great place to leave it off. Brian, thanks so much for joining This Week in the, Met- this week in the Metaverse episode two.
1: Thanks for having me, Matt.